Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. Our core text uh, for our series, Dangerous Prayers, is from Psalm 139. Uh, it's been one I loved all my life, and frankly, as I've worked through it for this series, it's actually become one of my favorite psalms of all time now. Let's read portions of it again. Follow along on the screens, because we're going to just read portions, skip verses. It'll be easier to follow along there. It says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. Uh, The night is bright as day. The darkness is as light with you. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. So I want to give you a little warning because these next four verses of David are really endearing to me. He says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. That, that's a really intense level of hatred. I count them my enemies. Now, I'm actually... I know I said it kind of jokingly and and read it a little bit. I'm actually serious. Those verses are really endearing verses to me. And I'm not a terrorist. I'm not a hateful person. I'm not an extremist. I'm actually going to explain in a moment. And I think you will see them the same way in just a moment. Immediately following these hate-filled, intense emotions are the verses framing our Dangerous Prayers series. And that says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Another way to translate that is test me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So last week we talked about how it's God's love that gives us the foundation to even make things right with God and others. But we're going to take this dangerous prayer just a step further. We're going to start this way. There's a friend of mine, Chris, and one of the nicest guys I ever met uh, my freshman year in college. He was fun, smart, caring. He was uh, wanted to do really well in school to honor his family sacrifice because he was the first one in his family to be able to go to college. So as the first semester was drawing to a close, he was actually getting all B's. And then came finals week. And Chris was determined to finish well and ace all of his finals because he could see bumping up several of them up to A's and getting a GPA that he never thought he could possibly get. So the week before finals, Chris basically stopped everything else, started studying 20 hours a day. And the night before his three biggest finals, Chris stayed up all night, pulled an all-nighter, dosing on caffeine pills to stay awake. Later that day, I walked out of my room and ran into Chris on his way back from his last finals, and, and he didn't look very well. And I asked him, hey, what's up, Chris? How you? How you doing? And he, he struggled to reply. He said, I studied so long, I slept so little, I dosed so high on caffeine that when I got to the test, I was shaking and my eyes were open, but I couldn't think, I couldn't remember a single thing. I failed every single test. We all love testing, don't we? It's one of our favorite things in life. Now, there may be actually a few of you who truly do, but all of us normal folk, when we say we love testing, we're, we're actually, just to let you know, we're, we're using the epitome of sarcasm when we say that. 
I've talked to a lot of people who say, I'd love to go back for more education if I didn't have to take all the tests. In fact, I've talked to a lot of professors who say, I would love to teach if I didn't have to give all the tests. There's probably a bargain to be made somewhere in there between those two groups. In our text, we pray these dangerous prayers of search me, know me, and then try me, test me. And for most of us, this test me prayer is hard and confusing because praying test me takes this on this ominous, confusing overtone when we say God tests us. We often think, oh, all the crud I'm facing, God's just testing me. The sickness I'm experiencing, that's just God testing me. This conflict, this pain, this, this difficulty in my marriage or my family, God is just testing you. That, that kind of thinking about God and testing makes it really hard for us to receive God's love. Why? Because we dislike tests and because when we see evil, pain, and difficulty and we associate it with God, it sparks the question, if God is love, then why all this? I mean, even if we see the good in testing, which some of us do, it still comes with these competing emotions of not liking testing because it isn't pleasant. For some of you, when you became a Christian, you didn't know you were signing up for testing and you just thought, oh, this thing's just, I'm just signing up for healing, salvation, problems being solved, things getting better and better, just inspiring, you know, good stuff. And then you find out life is still hard. And for some of you, actually, life became harder in some respects. And you're wondering why? Why all this difficult stuff? So how do we deal with this idea of testing? The goal of today is to help us actually more fully know what we talked about last week, the inescapable love and good intention of God, and expand on that so we can land in a place where we are more peacefully and eagerly want to pray this prayer of God, test me. So we're going to deal with this by looking at kind of two general questions. Why does God test us and how does God test us? That first question, why does God test us? Well, God tests us because he's a loving family. So David wrote this Psalm 139. Solomon, his son, must have learned it really well because Solomon later in his life pens this proverb where he says, For the Lord corrects, the Lord disciplines and tests those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. So granted, now we have a hard time seeing that as children, right? But, but how many difficult tests, how many difficult training experiences did an authority figure like a parent put in your life in the past that you didn't like at the time, but now you look back and you're extremely grateful for? And that actually leads us to the next why God tests us. And it's just simply this, because we're becoming someone better. As we run this race, we are being transformed. Paul describes that in Philippians 1 saying, And I am sure of this, sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Not just part of the way, but to completion. So our second question is this, how does God test us? And first, I think God doesn't always explain the test in advance. Why? Well, I had this wonderful professor, Dr. Young, in seminary. He approached testing and teaching like no one else I've ever seen before or since. He was the epitome of a Socratic purist. And what that means is he didn't lecture. He just simply sparked discussion. And he tested in a similar way. It was fascinating, but it was hard. And a bunch of the people dropped his class because they had no framework for understanding how he was teaching. All they knew was people who would lecture and tell them what to think. And yet Dr. Young wanted to achieve something 
more in us. He wanted not to just give us information. He wanted to train us in how to think and how to find the answers ourselves, how to process life and faith. And he wanted us to learn to be curious and to debate in really healthy ways with one another. And see, often God doesn't explain why or how he is testing us until actually after the experience, because he's not just trying to impart information, but creating or using an experience to develop something in us. We see this in David as a teen, got this word from God that someday you're going to be the king and and you're going to have to go through some training to be king. But what he didn't know is that he was going to have Saul try to kill him and chase him and live most of that time in the wilderness on the run. God's training for us requires at times that we face the unexpected in order for us to learn how to even respond and learn the character we need in that moment. And second, we're in a lifelong training process. Rick Warren, the pastor and author of Purpose Driven Life, says basically we're always in one of three positions. We're either coming out of a test, we're in a test right now, or ready to go into a test. And for a motivational speaker, isn't that so encouraging? Since testing is always part of life, it may actually be better to view testing in terms of training, a training program like like physical therapy that takes you from being wounded and hurt back to healthy, whole, and strong. God's training program is taking us from our brokenness and using circumstances around us and resistance that we face around us to bring healing and strength back into our lives. And with any quality training program, we know there's going to be what? There's going to be times we try and we fail. But the good news is all throughout the Bible you see we always get another chance. We always get to learn from our mistakes. And we have different categories of mistakes. We have these honest mistakes that we make, ones that inadvertently happen and and all of a sudden we realize our immaturity in a way that we never saw it before and we deal with it. But we also have these other kinds of mistakes, those memories, those, those moments that we'd rather not admit that we failed in, the ones we wish we could erase from the blackboard of our life, and, and instead, instead, though, God often prefers, rather than to erase things, he, he prefers to transform those things in our life. He doesn't take our experiences and mistakes away from us, but rather he uses them, even if they're not good, to positively shape our future. See, uh, Peter failed the faithfulness test at least on two occasions that we can easily see in the Bible, and, and yet at the end of his life he was hailed as one of the most faithful followers of Jesus ever. Our failure and mistakes may have consequences, but God is the most brilliant redeemer who can make something good from even the worst of our sins. Now, one of the problems we also have sometimes with tests is we think of tests like we take it, we pass it, we never have to do it again. I never have to go back to algebra again. Anybody else, anybody else there with me? Not everyone to go back to algebra again. All you math people, I'm sorry. That's just not... I just, that, that, Go in the other room. We we don't like you, all of us people who struggle with algebra. When you read David's life, we see this repeated testing going on over and over again in his life. And each test he passes draws David closer and more deeply into a confidence in the love of God. Each test David passes elevates his leadership and impact in the lives of others. So when David writes this, test me, O God, he knows from experience, what he's writing. He knows the difficulty. He knows the frustration and the pain. And he also knows God's faithfulness to bring something good, something better out of it. The third way God tests us is is God trains us through trials. 
Now, some of you are swallowing hard on that statement, so I want you to hear me really, really clearly. Many people say all trials are from God, and they are simply wrong. That is a misunderstanding of what the sovereignty of God actually means. God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is everywhere. God is love. He's not just loving. He is love. And without going into a long apologetic about that, love requires free choice. And humanity's free choice has been to sin, to bring evil and relational and cosmic brokenness into the world. The result is relational conflict, sickness, death, natural disasters, and evil in the world. God did not bring sin, sickness, moral corruption, natural disasters into the world, our sin did. So what that means is most of the trials, the vast majority of the trials we face, are simply from living in and encountering a sinful, broken world. And the reality of where God is in that with us is he grieves with us. He is actually sad that we have to face that which he never intended us to face. But God is also so awesome. Even those terrible evil experiences that we bring on ourselves by our own sin, that others bring on us by their sin, and that we just experience because of the brokenness of nature and and the world around us. God is a master at turning the brokenness and evil of the world and redeeming it and creating good in our lives. Now, we're going to actually highlight just for a second here three of the more common trials or tests that we face. And one of the first one is, I think, in many ways, for many of us, the hardest one. It is, it is through the times of the unknown. The unknown where you're waiting for a job to come and it never seems to come. You're trying to figure out what to do in a certain situation where it's hard to define what the best and right thing to do is. Feeling like you need God's direction, but facing silence and wondering where he is. Feeling left in the dark. We see this in Daniel in the Bible. He prays during a desperate time with a, sens- a time-sensitive need and, and he waits and he waits and he waits and God finally speaks and, and God tells Daniel, well, I answered the prayer from the very first moment you prayed it. It just took a while basically to work things out. Throughout the Bible and in life, when you get a promise, when you sense even God is behind a promise, you frequently are going to face opposition, an obstacle or a delay. Sometimes it's because of our failure. Moses spent uh, 120 years in, in, in the wilderness because of the failure of the people to pass a test instead of getting to the promised land in a few months. And, and sometimes it's just life in general. The unknown, the waiting, sometimes I think it is the hardest test to deal with emotionally. So in the college I attended, uh, we had to take four semesters of humanities. And the humanities courses used two primary texts. One was, one was primarily the history-oriented, and one was all about the arts that you study in humanities. And most tests that we took for the first three semesters were 90% from the history and 10% from the arts-oriented text. But in the third semester of humanities, the teachers decided to rewrite the midterm test. And they didn't tell us that they were going to flip that, and 90% was going to be from the arts book and 10% from the history book, which meant everybody walked into that test woefully unprepared. And my roommate and Lowell and I were taking it. Lowell's a pastor of Wonderful Church in Charlotte now. Sat, Lowell sat down and he scanned the test like he always did ahead of time and saw what, what it was and he was overwhelmed. So he stopped and prayed for the first 10 minutes of the test because he knew he was, I mean, he knew that based upon how he and everyone else had prepared for this test, he was going to bomb it. 
As he was praying, he felt like God said to him, cast lots. And he remembered in his mind in the Old Testament how they would cast lots to discern the right answer from God. Casting lots in the Old Testament was kind of like rolling dice a little bit. I mean, that's kind of what it was. Like, and So he, he went into the test. He's, like most multiple choice tests, you, if you use simple logic, you can eliminate two of the four answers straight off because they're just obviously wrong. That usually leaves two answers that you have to choose between, right? So Lowell's way of casting lots was to roll his pencil on his... Now, thinking about that, that was probably really annoying to the next people next to him, rolling that pencil the whole time, making all that noise. And, and if the lettering was facing up, he would take the first of the two remaining choices. And if the lettering was facing down, he would choose the second of the remaining choices. He did that on over 60% of the test questions. He told me what he'd done after the test. And I went, man, you are just going to get crucified on that test. We got the scores back, and I was generally an A student, and my approach to guessing on that test left me with a 68%. Lowell, the pencil-rolling bum, got 96%. And of course, him being the fun, competitive, nice guy that he was, he rubbed it in our face for the next several weeks, telling us how much more spiritual he was. So I decided... uh, in a test about a year later, I ran into about 10 questions I didn't have any clue on. So I decided to do the pencil rolling thing and see if God would do it for me. <laughs> didn't work. I'm not, I don't know what this says about me, but it didn't work. Now, that's a light way of looking at this question of the unknown. But some of you right now, you're facing really deeply painful, really emotional, confusing moments and tests in your life, whether it's, whether it's sickness, whether it's frustration with the job, whether it's a big decision, you have no clue what the right decision is on, whether it's pain in your family or relationships, and you simply don't know what to do. You don't know what the outcome will be or even should be. You don't know where God is at in your particular situation. It's so frustrating. It feels like darkness. It feels like just a lot of unknown, not being able to see clearly what the answer is, and it's overwhelming. And regardless of whether you believe that pencil rolling that Lowell did was God or just dumb luck, I actually think the statistical odds are a little bit in favor of God on this one. Lowell walked away from that test with the sense that God wanted to, wanted to bless him more than he wanted to be blessed. That God wanted to give him wisdom more than he wanted wisdom. That God wanted him to succeed more than he wanted to succeed. And even in the darkness, when we don't know the answer, the darkness, our text says, is light to God. Whatever darkness, pain, confusion, uncertainty, not knowing what the answer is that you are facing right now, it is light to God. God uses those moments of darkness of not knowing to refine our trust and our reliance in his love to create in our lives these anchor moments, these anchor points that give us strength moving forward in life. As silly as the pencil roll moment was and is, when Lowell faced the breakup with the woman he thought he was going to marry, when Lowell faced his mom's struggle with cancer and her eventually dying, when he struggled not knowing how to deal with his brother's cocaine addiction and all the tumult it was bringing in their family, God continually brought 
brought him back to this pencil rolling moment and other similar anchor points of God showing up in the darkness when you didn't know what was going to happen, didn't even know what the right answer was. And to to an extent, there's a similar anchor point that shaped my life and thinking. When I face the unknown, I constantly try to remind myself, God wants me to know his will and walk in his will more than I want to know his will and walk in his will. And I lean in to that anchor point. And therefore, you find peace and you find this sense of trust in God even in the frustrating darkness of the unknown. Now, there's another common trial we also face, and that's the evil for good and good for evil trial. Let's just call it that. We see this in David and Nabal in the Old Testament. David and his men had had protected Nabal and indeed had, because of their protection, had brought great wealth to Nabal. So when David asked Nabal for help, uh, Nabal insulted him and stiffed him. And David was being tested in that moment. Will he be a prideful, insecure, offense-driven man and leader? Or will he be, one day when he becomes king, a humble, patient, forgiving servant king? See, this test is so hard for us because at its very core of this training test is often betrayal. Betrayal of a spouse. Betrayal of a friend. Betrayal of a coworker. The test is whether you, when you are betrayed, will you respond in like manner or will you return good for evil as Jesus did and as Jesus invites us as his followers to do? That's hard, isn't it? I remember my last job being consistently betrayed, uh, receiving evil for good from another leader in the organization. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail out of respect for the organization and, and that person, but, but I want to be open enough to share how this trial shaped me. The person in leadership would act, actively go behind my back trying to convince leaders not to work with me. And I had a lot of these leaders coming to me, telling me directly about what was happening in these conversations. He was trying to undermine me as I led what was a widely agreed upon change initiative. In fact, it was an initiative that he was in favor of and publicly supported himself. But Jesus teaches us to love our enemies, to pray for them and love them. How do you do that with someone who returns good with evil. Well, initially I prayed an awful lot that God would take him out of the picture. And it would have been so much easier to do what we were doing without that going behind the back stuff going on. That's how my prayer started. And I failed the test several times as a result because of that prayer. God had a different training program in mind for me. The test that he wanted me to pass demanded that I love and forgive even when the person was unwilling to admit they were wrong. It demanded that I continue to work with him and even empower him even while he was undermining me. It demanded that I learn to have as good of a personal relationship as I could possibly have with him even though I disliked what he was doing and what he stood for in many respects. And as part of that relationship, it demanded that I pursue trying to have him engaging conversations with him and see if I could develop a friendship with him even though I wasn't interested in him and I wasn't interested in his thoughts and I didn't want to talk to him especially because I knew what he was doing. And yet it wasn't until I began to pass this test that I all of a sudden started to realize by talking with him and engaging with him, I started to realize a greater compassion for him. He was a, 
an older man who had had great influence in the past and didn't no longer had that kind of influence that he was accustomed to. And, and within him, there was lots of core identity struggles going on. Insecurities were hijacking this man's behavior. And the test from God was simply this, whether I would seek to be a part of helping to heal those wounds from his own declining success and insecurities, or whether I was going to be one who cast him aside and further deepened those wounds in his life? Would it be part of giving him the best chance possible to respond to change, whether he did or not, and what God was doing and find meaning and impact again, or would I be a barrier to how God wanted to invite him to continuing meaningful impact and growth? See, I I don't think if I had passed this test at at a certain level, I don't know what kind of a grade I got, but I probably got a D on it, but I I don't think I'd be your pastor today if I hadn't passed that, because I don't think God would have allowed me to move on in life. See, God has called us to love our enemies, those who betray us, who oppose us, who threaten us. And those kinds of tests are just stinking hard, aren't they? We also see this kind of evil for good in, in, in the simple broken promises of life. David experienced this on more than one occasion with Saul. In fact, Saul promised to give him his daughter and did give him his daughter in marriage. And then Saul broke that promise and took his wife and married her off to another at one point. How do we respond to broken promises in our life? A third common way God uses trials in our lives is through intense and varying emotions as well. And this is where those tough words that I talked about, David, making that are endearing to me before where he says, slay me, God, I hate those who hate you with complete hatred. Those words are endearing. David writes this psalm while he's dealing with a tremendous amount of pressure and conflict and opposition and evil around him, and it is vexing to him. And yet in the midst of that, David sits down in the midst of that and writes this psalm where he says, God, search me. You know me. I can't not be known by you. You are always with me. And then he writes these, he vents this anger and frustration and self-righteous indignation. Slay them, God. They hate you. I hate them even more. Then immediately, notice what he does. He says that and he immediately, as though he's questioning whether his emotions and anger may not be completely godly. David refocuses, coming back to praying, search me, God. Search even these emotions. Help me to know my thoughts, God. Even these hate-filled, these anger-filled, these hurt-filled, self-righteous threat, fear-filled thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me. You see, we read this text in black and white, removed from David's circumstances, and we think, well, yeah, David, it's a bit obvious. That you just, what you just said is grievous, right? But here's why I love David, and I love these words. David is willing to be raw and real with God. And then in the end, even submit his most intense, powerful emotions to God to test them. Isn't it true, even in your life, that when you are greatly pressured, you are offended, you are treated so wrongly in it, in so much pain, that you sometimes think and you want to talk in not completely unlike ways to David's anger in this psalm? Now, granted, you're never going to act on those, I hope, 
words, right? But you feel them nonetheless. In our world today, we are increasingly driven by emotions devoid of testing. We argue for moral choices that have not been accepted as right throughout most of history by making the case largely based on our emotions. We say this must be right because it feels right. Right? We see increasingly unrestrained anger that is not attached to facts driving our politics and our protests because our feelings, our emotions make it right is what our culture says. We see the belief that our happiness, uh, what makes us comfortable and and feel good, whatever that is, that must be right and best. And so our feelings override godly wisdom and morality in our lives. David illustrates in such a winsome and powerful way life-shaping truth, and that is this, that God gives us our emotions and feelings as a gift to help guide us to be healthy in life. And God also welcomes real and raw you in those emotions. He wants you to come to him in all the rawness. And at the same time, David shows us that our feelings also need to be submitted to God's searching, trying, testing, and refining. Because while they are a gift from God, they can as easily lead us to choices that bring harm as they can lead us to choices that bring good. So God tests us through trials of various kinds. There's a fourth way God tests us, and God trains us through success. So there's a Scottish historian named Thomas Carlyle who once said, Adversity is sometimes hard upon a man, but for one man who can stand prosperity, there are a hundred that will stand adversity. Powerful, isn't it? Among the many vivid biblical examples of this are Saul and David, again, the first and second kings of Israel. Saul is exalted really quickly to be king of Israel, and, and, but his character, his trust, his sense of security in God is not solid. And time after time, Saul's insecurity gets the best of him, and he fails as a king. David is anointed by the prophet to be king one day as an early pubescent boy, a young kid. You may remember the story of David and Goliath and the great success and victory God brought, but when you read the rest of the story, David quickly grew in fame and, and power, becoming eventually, very quickly, the greatest general in Saul's army, racking up victory after victory after victory. Great, quick success, and then years of testing. Because Saul's insecurity rises to the level of murderous jealousy and David goes from the leading general and the son-in-law of the king to an outlaw hiding in the wilderness, living in caves for many years. Most of many of the years up until he was 30 years old, he was fleeing for his life before God entrusted the kingdom to him. God wants us to be able to handle success well. So he trains us and tests us to ensure we have the best chance of doing exactly that. Joseph spent 10 years as a slave, much of it in prison, before God allowed him to be promoted and become the number two guy in Egypt. Jesus didn't start his earthly ministry until 30. Paul, the most impactful follower of Jesus, he graduated from the Jewish Harvard of the day, and he was intelligent, and in his 20s, he was already trusted by the Jewish elites with high-level leadership. And yet when Paul became a follower of Jesus at 30, Even with all that previous training and leadership experience, he spent three years in private training in Arabia 
And he spent five to ten years more in Antioch before he was released and success in leadership in his life really took off. See, one version of the success test that we often face is actually referred to often as the opportunity test. We see this in David and Saul as well. Will David wait for God to make him king as prophesied, or will David force the issue? And, and, and he had many opportunities, we know, to kill Saul along the way and force the issue and assume the throne by force. But David instead chose to honor God and Saul and wait until the right way came to do it. See, this opportunity test makes us face the question, Will we be so self-focused and driven to achieve our dreams, even the dreams that God clearly gives us, that we will take whatever opportunity for self-advancement that can come our way regardless of how we come by it? See, God's desire is for each and every one of you to be successful. God wants to bless your life, but he also wants the success and the blessing he brings to bring truly, to truly bring goodness to your life instead of it being something that creates pride or becomes a monster that controls the definition of who you are in unhealthy and destructive ways. So God's testing is often, as Jesus so poignantly puts it in Luke 16, that will you be faithful in little things? Because if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in much. So let's kind of begin to land this message by talking about how do we respond well to the tests? Now, certainly, knowing some of how God tests and some of the particular common ways God tests like we've talked about can be helpful. At least I hope it is. Otherwise, this message is a waste. We might as well go home, right? But understanding who God is and why God tests us is absolutely critical. Because when we don't, we will tend to bail when we face tests rather than walking through them to the pure gold God is wanting to bring out of us. See, the biggest reason we bail on testing is because we focus on the wrong thing. There's this Irish preacher who was prominent in the Irish revival of the mid-1800s who said it in a really simple and I think a really powerfully redirecting way for our focus in life. He said this, he said, never interpret God's love by your circumstances, but always interpret your circumstance by his love. Jesus actually tells us a parable reinforcing that same idea. Jesus says, one day a man was walking in a field and, and he found there buried a pearl of great price hidden in the dirt. No one knew it was there. It was a pearl that was worth more than a lifetime's wage for the average fairly wealthy person. Jesus concludes the story saying, this man went and he sold all that he had. He put all of his chips in. He, he put his entire life's value in and he bought that field. Why? Because the cost of the field, even though it cost him everything in his life, was a bargain for what was buried there. See, the reason we avoid these dangerous prayers, and in particular this prayer asking God to test us, is that we don't understand the bargain we're getting. We don't understand the great pearl, the great worth, the great life, the awesome reward awaiting us on the other side of the test, and especially the reward at the end of our life. Again, as we read earlier what Paul said, he says, I am sure of this, sure, no question, that he who began a work in you, a good work in you, 
will bring it to completion. This is the goal. This is the pearl. This is the prize. Being completely whole, completely free, knowing and living, being completely strong, enduring and love and enduring love and peace, being a hallmark of our lives. And this prize is a guaranteed promise. See, testing is about God bringing out the good he created you to be. Testing is God bringing the gold out of you. Worship team, go ahead and come on up. So when you look at your life, where are you currently rough, weak, broken, awkward, stressed, discouraged, depressed? Where are you facing any of those things? I want you to take whatever came to mind, if something came to mind in that, and I want you to imagine your life for just a moment, refined where you're rough, whole where you're broken. Imagine your life winsome where you're awkward and you don't know how to live and what to do. Imagine your life peace-filled and joy-filled in the areas you are stressed and distressed and depressed in your life. As we think through ways to walk this out this week, I want you to consider this. I want you to identify one thing in your life right now that is difficult. Maybe some of you are in a place where where your response to that thing that you identify that's difficult is to express your emotions honestly to God because you've been holding them back. Allow God to meet you there in the pain. He wants you to be real and raw, and he wants to come into that space with you. Others of you may want to ask God to help you see how he wants to bring some growth and purpose and meaning from the difficult situation you're facing. And still others of you, you simply need to surrender to God's test in your life and and maybe remind yourself, maybe remind yourself, God wants you to know, God wants you to make it through this test well more than you want to make it through this test well. May this week, as you bump up against these difficult things you're facing uh, in your relationship job, whatever came to mind, may your thoughts and your actions be, God, I'm not going to let my circumstances define your love, but I'm going to let your love define my circumstances this week. Would you stand with me as we pray? So, Father, that's what we ask. Lord, I know how difficult it is in the unknown, in the frustrating times of wishing there was an answer, wishing things would move forward, wishing things would change, just just wanting things to be different, how hard it is to not let those things define who we are and define who you are to us. Lord, for each of us, whatever level of pain, whatever level of frustration, whatever test we're facing in life right now, would you come to us? And would you make these words alive to us by your presence? Because, Lord, I know how many times I've said, you want me to know your will more than I want it, and you want me to follow you more than I want to follow you. And, and Lord, those words are good to say, and I know how good they are, but unless your spirit comes and makes them real... It still feels like just positive self-talk instead of something real. And, and Lord, I just sense you wanting to come all over this place right now and make those words alive and real by your Spirit to us. As though we hear them directly 
from you. And we feel your arm around us, ready to walk with us through whatever we're walking through. So Lord, even as we turn right now and we give our voices and our thoughts back to you through worship, would you come and do that to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Continue to worship. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.